I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to I Was There Too. My name's Matt Gorley. This is the show where I talk to people present in the great scenes of cinema history. This episode, I got two guests. Two guests from rival, complementary gangs from the film Grease. I guess it depends on how you look at it. And maybe it goes from one to the other in the course of the film. I'm not much of a musical theater or musical movie guy. However, I love the film Grease. My mother uh, took my sister and me to see it in the theater back in the days when um, you could stay past the ending and watch it again, which we had to do because we were late and didn't see the beginning. So we watched it in kind of a memento plot structure style that I recommend for interesting postmodern viewing. It was the highest grossing movie of 1978. My guests are the wonderful Jamie Donnelly, who plays the Pink Lady Jan, you know, the brusha, 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 a pan of toothpaste girl, among other things, and Barry Pearl, who plays Duty, one of the most energetic hoofers and just all-around good-time T-bird guy. We start off talking quite a bit about the theatrical production before we get into the details of the film, and necessarily so, because Jamie played the part of Jan in the theatrical production, and Barry played the part of Sonny before he became Duty in the film, if that makes sense. Well, you'll hear all about it, and more, because there were so many stories that we didn't even get to them all. I feel like we just scratched the surface, but that's the way things go when you're running a hotshot podcast in the Wild West. Huh? Let's get this thing started. The film, Grease, the year 1978. The roles, Jan the Pink Lady and Duty the T-Bird. The actors, Jamie Donnelly and Barry Pearl. Well, I am very lucky to have not only a Pink Lady, but a T-Bird here today. Jamie Donnelly, Barry Pearl, thank you for joining me, and I was there too. Thank you for having us. Yeah, we're thrilled to be here. You're even wearing pink. Well, I'm wearing pink. For the occasion, and, uh, and I'm not wearing anything, so it, it's going to be one of those podcasts. You realize that, Matt? Don't this you? is why this is audio and not video. Yes, but if you could oh. see what I could see. Oh right yeah, now. we don't want them to look at. I don't know. No. I'm. I, you know what? It's not half bad. No. Oh really? Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Oh, I'm oh. putting my shirt back. Put on. it back on right now. <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> what is it? You're too pure to be pink. Is it, or she's too pure. Is that what yeah. the kids doctor She's too saying? pure to be pink. Yeah. <laughs> How long have you guys known each other now? A long time. Right. I think even before. Before you, because yeah. you were both involved in the stage production, right. right? Yes. That's my first question for you. How different did you find the original stage production versus the film? Is there one you prefer, like them in different ways? Tell me. Uh, I mean, uh, I, they're two different entities uh, with a lot of uh, uh, c- connective tissue between the two. Sure. But I personally, I love doing the stage play. I, yeah. I mean, I never got enough of the stage play as much as I love doing the film, but they were just two different experiences. Yeah, we're, we're really are kind of Broadway babies. Uh-huh. You know, we're, yeah. I, you probably mostly have people who are very much film people, but we started as, you know, entertainers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was in my first Broadway show musical when I was 17 years old and Barry was already... 11. I was 11. He was 11 when he did this. The first rock and roll musical, Bye Bye Birdie. Yeah. On Broadway. It replaced Johnny Borden wow. as Randolph McAfee. So what were the circumstances that got you guys in those shows at such a young age? Go Just ahead, baby. your desires, parents' desires? Oh, no. It was it was definitely my desire. Yeah, I felt when I... And my first job was fantastic. I was up for the role for six months and then it was Candor and Ebb's first musical, the guys who did Cabaret yeah. and Chicago later. This was called Flora the Red menace that's right they wound liza. up hiring liza minnelli i and- studied theater myself in college so this is nice to hear uh-huh. we almost always talk about film and i you know there's i was liza's understudy there was no standby i was 17 i was covering the person who won the tony award for uh for best actress in a musical that year <laughs> and i i mean i was sure i was going to be a huge star any second <laughs> in my so, eyes dear yeah <laughs> thank you but so i i mean i was and how did I get into that? I felt like I had waited a lifetime. And you were 17. And I was 17 <laughs> because my parents wouldn't let me work uh, during the school year. And so I was doing like seasons of 10 musicals a summer in summer stock. Did you grow up in New York? I grew up uh, in New Jersey. Okay. So I was close enough. In fact, as a little girl, I was on 76th Street, opposite 76th Street in Manhattan, and across the Hudson, looking over, saying, <clears throat> "Get me over there." There were ferries. There were there were ways to get there. But I knew that I wanted to be there. And I saw my first musical on Broadway was The Music Man. <laughs> and by the end, by the act break, I came out and I felt the same way I feel after I have done. Act one of a musical. It was as though, and I knew that's where I belonged. And I knew it was in Robert Preston's role. (laughs) (laughs) I did not relate to Barbara (laughs) Cook except to admire her. But Robert Preston, I was ready to go. And I saw there are kids on that stage. Why not me? I can do those steps. And and so I had been waiting since I was 10 and working every time. It wasn't a school time until... I came out at uh, – I got through school fast. Um, I got skipped. In those days, they didn't have you know gifted programs. It was just, well, she's year. figured it out, so just keep mm-hmm. going. Keep, keep her going. So mm-hmm. I, I got out fast and was on Broadway by then and then did a series of Broadway musicals in wonderful roles. And um, Grease actually – Jan was a smaller role than the things that I had been playing. I had, I think the one before that, I was Joel Gray's wife in George M. at the Palace for a year in a really nice role. So it was 
you know, it 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 was not shocking to me that I did the musical on Broadway. But you played Jan both on, in the production yeah, and the film. But you played Sonny originally. Yes. Is that correct? Yes. yes. So yes, how did you find the difference between those two roles? It's the same. <laughs> Literally, they just changed it's the names to protect the innocent. Yeah. I mean, by the end too, you guys had. I don't know if this was present in the stage production, but you had developed a Three Stooges dynamic yes, with the that, characters. That was a result of. Uh, that was initially my idea because I had, I, as I used to say on on, on the, the press tour that Dinah Manoff and I did, and you know, do you do sixteen cities in eleven days before the the premiere premiere? And uh, so you get, you're repeating yourself. But I would say uh, uh, that I cut my comedic teeth on the Three Studios, so I felt that would be perfect for Sonny Duty and Putsy. And fortunately, Randall Kleiser was a huge Stooge fan, Three Stooges fan, and uh, I remember him coming up to me and saying, uh, "I got a surprise." for you. We've gotten some shorts from Columbia and <clears throat> we're going to screen them today so that Kelly and and Michael got the feeling for, for them as I had well. a feeling you were the ringleader. Yeah, I was the ringleader. Because you, I mean, you're really pulling the curly chops yes. out on that. Yeah, it's curly in my yeah. favorite. Yeah, same here. And, uh, and so I, it's an homage to them. The work is an homage to them. So yes, to here I, th- yeah, here <laughs> I, I th- thought this was going to be a Grease episode, but it's well, about well, it could be. Stooges. Maybe in the sequel. <laughs> Can I ask you guys back tomorrow? Certainly. Okay. Aren't we done? No. Goodbye. <laughs> Good. Thanks. Sorry I took up all our time. Why don't we just make this a weekly appointment? <laughs> I'm down. Okay. We're here. All right. Uh, well, you I, asked. I did. <laughs> I, I mean, I literally asked you both to be here. This is my fault. Um, I'm so glad, actually, that both of you are here because in your the two most probably memorable group numbers, both Beauty School Dropout and Grease Lightning, you two are where the eye goes. <laughs> really? Oh, really. And That's sweet. I, I mean it. I mean, duty, the way you're hopping around and the gangliness that you manage to, I don't know, do without injuring yourself is really impressive. <laughs> And I called you Duty. I know your name's Barry, but Jamie, uh, there is. But a I've look. been called Duty a Have lot. You been called and, worse. And, and, yes, <laughs> and, and and not necessarily as the uh, Duty we knew, we came to know and love him from the film. But go on. There, there is a moment in yes. Beauty School Dropout. And this is one of the joys of doing this podcast. It's watching solely for one person's performance, which I never, you know, why would you do otherwise, right? Um, especially when Frankie Avalon says the line, get off the pot. And you're doing this. Everybody's doing this very demure, like, hands up move. And you yeah. make this, like, hungry devil face <laughs> that is. <laughs> I've never implored a listener to actually watch a movie for a specific moment. But it's when Frankie Avalon says, get off the pot. And this expression you get on your face is, I rewound it. I laughed out loud. It was so – do you have any recollection I, I do, of that? I do remember because it, it kind of timed in. To, yeah. Off the pot and it yeah. was right on the pot that I did that face. Right? But everybody's just doing this very straightforward chorus girl face and you – your eyes just immediately go to the, what is this girl doing? Right? And it's so wonderful. It was fa- – well, thank you. It was fun. Yeah. Uh, that number was so much fun because if you ever loved music, movie musicals – yeah. And all of a sudden, because the number was not like that in the show. No, really. not at all. It was very simple. Uh-huh. And this being like a Busby Berkeley you know, kind of girl was just so much fun. But I could not resist, <laughs> you know, going for a laugh. But it's what can be the, I say? The best of both worlds because you get to do the Busby Berkeley thing, but you also get to have fun with it at the yes. same time because it's, it's it's in many ways an homage to it, not yes, just straight up Busby yeah. Berkeley. Yeah, and you know, I think it is one of the things that makes this work so well, that the company worked so well together, is that we all are such lovers of laughs. Well, however knew, do you mean? Do you we mean? knew what it was like. I, I wonder what, how people even can do comedy who haven't been on stage in front of an audience. Hmm. And the fact that we had all gotten laughs. Yeah, right. 
with these characters, we knew what was funny. We knew what was not funny. Yeah, how do you trust your instincts if you haven't had a reaction from a live yeah. audience? When yeah. you're getting no reaction on a soundstage, you have to trust that you what you're doing you know is funny. Yeah. Yeah, and it is certainly the editor's job to make sure that – where those where they think those laughs might be that they don't you know cut too too tightly so that the next line or moment is right. lost and you know it's hard to do that because there will be plenty of times where there'll be three people in the audience and then a huge gap yeah. you know so that it's it's dicey they I, you know it's a mix and match kind of but thing. we kind of would go for every laugh every. we could get and <laughs> yes. let them edit it yeah, out it's, yeah, well, it's was, not up to us yeah. that's the let way that we were all, we yeah. and you know we were like that on stage yeah. too yeah. you know it was i don't want to say a competition because we all work well but it was like Who's going to get the next laugh? Right, yeah. right. Who can bounce off somebody else's laugh yeah. and get another take it's a out science. of it? It's, yeah, it's, it's a sure. wonderful science. It really, it really is mathematical in yeah. a way. In Beauty School Dropout, when you guys do the flyby, how mm-hmm. many times did you have to do that? Because that looked like it was we, precision. We hung around up there <laughs> the entire day. And let me tell you, I had always <laughs> wanted to fly. You know, uh, that was always from, – from when we watched Peter, Peter Pan. Pan. Yeah, of course. Right. Yeah. You know, flying by Foy. This was flying by Irving. <laughs> And they had us in these terrible rigs. They were uh, of jean material that were cut off at the knees and then laces like by the, the thigh where the thigh meets the, the, the knee. Like uh, some kind of like Daisy Duke chaps or something? Something like that okay. and lined with uh, well, lamb's wool and then tied very tightly by the knees so as to take the pressure off the groin. It was jury rigged. And, uh, and then they had these two cables and it was so uncomfortable. <laughs> Thank God for for Jeff and his drugs because we – was that out loud? Um, but we literally uh, – I was hanging there the whole day and it was so uncomfortable. And Kelly had uh, – uh, Kelly Ward who played Putsy was a master dancer. So when he flew across, he was completely parallel to the ground. Me, if you look, I look like a, an L that is you know upside but down. But you are incredibly rigid when you go by. I have Not to as much as, as – Really? He, and Michael, all Michael did because he comes down from the yeah, center. he's got it. Is he comes down and you know and yeah. back up again, but I'm trying to straighten out, and I would have flipped over had I done that. But yeah. Kelly had it all going on. It was <laughs> so disappointing the whole thing. But it, it looks great. It, you know, people laugh. And it's, well, speaking you know. of Kelly, we should thank him. He's the part of the reason that you guys are here, and also part of the reason is Jonathan. Just lean in and say hello, Jonathan. Hey guys, I'm Jonathan, you're a friend of Kelly's who originally introduced me to Kelly and then Kelly passed me on to Jamie and Barry. So I just wanted to thank you and Kelly for making this happen. It's my pleasure. You're wonderful. (laughs) And let me thank you also. Oh, well, thank you. No, no, no. Thank you. I (laughs) said it first. I said it first. And I'll thank Kelly. And thank Kelly. (laughs) So did you guys have to audition having come from the stage production? Oh, yeah. yeah. Great story there, too. Oh, yeah. That's why we're here. Give it. No, no, you know, you better go first. Mine's very long. I mean, one of the things I I will say about this is that I did the show on Broadway seven years before. Wow. And I had an unfortunate ending in the show, which was – I don't know how much of this I'm going to go into because it could be a very long story, but – I, they had wanted me to sign a one-year contract, and I didn't want to do the show for a year. I signed a six-month contract, and at the end of six months, the girl who had originated the role, I was the first replacement as Jan, Garn Stevens, a wonderful original Jan on Broadway, was available again. And I went to them and said, are you going to bring her back because 
you know, she was original cast. They said, no, 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 no. Well, it turned out they actually did do that. They gave me a notice, a two-week notice, and Garn was actually in the show playing Frenchie, covering Frenchie for the two weeks of the my lame duck time as Jan. <laughs> and it was a very painful time for me, I'm honestly, sure. because in crossovers backstage, everybody in the cast is looking at me like, oh, Jamie, you know, and it was just like, I just want to stay bright, happy and get through this thing for the last two weeks. And I always felt like Garn was kind of looking at me like, I think I'm going to need a new sweater. It looks like she sweat <laughs> under the armpits of this one. And, uh, Eddie, the wardrobe guy, you know. Uh, and and it was a very hard time for me because I'd never been fired before. And I was actually fired. And so when the idea came up of doing Grease again, also I might add, Old. I was old. I felt like when I played the role on Broadway, I was really old for that part. Now we're seven years later in a close-up. I'm going to be a teenager. Ah. But I, I thought, I'm not going to put myself through this again because it's, you know, obviously I'm not uh, – I'm not that I'm not I'm not Jan. I'm not really right for Jan and anyway, I was very fortunate because a person whose name is hardly ever mentioned is a man named Bob Lamont mm. who was a fantastic manager. He came to Hollywood with me. He had very few clients when I was doing the Rocky Horror show, which I did at the Roxy for a year and then on Broadway. And you did that with Tim Curry originally. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I could talk about <clears throat> Tim, and that's yeah. that, that's when I come back next week. Right? Right. It's a great story, but, too. Great stories. But, but, um, but Bob Lamont came out to Hollywood then, and uh, Bob was John Travolta's manager and Jeff Conaway's manager and my manager. And, and, and Barry Bostwick's manager. Barry Bostwick, who started. And Richard Gere. He was basically and managing everyone from the stage production. Just about. Prior of, to the he, movie. Most of the um, Zucos yeah. he had. <laughs> because I asked him and he wouldn't have anything to do with me. I mean, not in a bad way, but no, no, I but wasn't that type. he was probably type. really overloaded at that point. Yeah, but, too, but he also was into, into the leading man type yeah, stuff. Yeah, he had Patrick it. Swayze. Right. I mean, right. he had great But wasn't clients. Travolta originally duty in the stage yes, production? Yes, yes. Yes, he was. But anyway, we'll get there. Okay. anyway Bob was here, and Bob, Bob was very influential in the whole thing at that point. Alan Carr was representing um, Stockard. Mm-hmm. So it was it was a smaller world than what you mm. would think of today. And so when Bob said, hey, you know, he had said to me originally when he wanted me to do the show. And I said, I don't know. And he said, it could be an annuity for the rest of your life. And I thought, what is he talking about? <laughs> uh, this is a small role in a, in a, in a you know, bubblegum show. Uh, you know, I wanted to be Barbara Streisand or, you know, uh, Mary Martin, you know, all people who, you know, they actually don't exist anymore. But anyway, when he said, how about the movie? I thought, why do I want to go in and be rejected again? Yeah. I don't think so. But I said, I'll go in. I said, but maybe not for Jan. I'll go in for something else if you really want me to go. So I was very shocked when I actually got it, because of my age, I didn't realize that I would not be the oldest person in <laughs> that right. in that company. But but when I when I got it and it was Jan, it was kind of like, oh my gosh, here I am again yeah. doing this thing. Yeah. And but it, I you know I tell the story partly because I think it's kind of interesting for people that 
once you, it isn't till later that you sometimes know that what happened that was so painful, there is a payoff uh-huh. that's going to come later because for all the pain of losing that job the first time, the fact that we never knew that the movie was going to be what it is. It was like, we'll see whether it works. Usually movies don't translate that well. Nobody has stage. a crystal ball that can tell us. We, and we, and we certainly <clears throat> had no idea about DVDs or sure. even VHS or that people would watch it. So now I am Jan. I'm sort of like Jan for the world forever. Yeah. Did Garn and- try out for the film? I don't even think Garn uh, wanted to act anymore once she was uh, – once by that time. Uh, she has another another life and, you know, she was wonderful in the role. But I doubt that she even auditioned for it. But uh. for sure, I know I'm the one – when people think of Jan, it's me that they think of. So I say this because I think it's kind of an encouraging thing for people who are going through difficult things and when you feel humiliated by – a role that you're playing, thinking, I thought I was doing well, but obviously they don't think I'm so good. You know, you don't know. You it's don't the proverbial, know the big picture. It's the proverbial one door closing, the other opening up. Because yeah. I have a very, very similar story to yours. And <clears throat> I had uh, uh, done well, – I guess I was in college uh, in, at Carnegie Mellon University in 73, and I had worked with this uh, guy, John Lansing, who's since become a, a really successful uh, fiction writer. Uh, Devil's Necktie is one of his uh, uh, books that uh, – and he just uh, – Blonde Cargo is the most recent one that he has published. But uh, John and I had worked together a- in the Chicago Free Street Theater in 72 and uh, now I'm back at school because uh, I was I was allowed out of school my senior – first uh, uh, semester of my senior year to tour with this uh, Chicago Street Theater in Europe. Um, and it was kind of a work-study situation. So I'm back at school in January in Pittsburgh. And John now is the understudy for Johnny Casino, uh, Danny Zuko, uh, Teen Angel. And they come through Pittsburgh. And I've been told by uh, college uh, mates of mine who had transferred from California to Pittsburgh how much I reminded them of their friend Michael Lembeck. Looked alike, played the same roles in the same plays. Turns out Lembeck was in this first national company of Greece that came through Pittsburgh. John called John. He said, you've got to come down and see this show. So I get down and see it, and Michael Lembeck comes out on stage and playing Sonny. He comes out backwards, <laughs> and when he turns around, it was like watching myself, Matt. I looked at this guy and said, that is me. Got on the phone the following day with my agent in New York. I said, you've got to get me an audition for this thing. They're going to do other companies, replacements, whatever. By that weekend, I was in for a general audition. Get a phone call from my agent midweek the following week. Michael Lembeck has broken his ankle at the end of the first wow. act, and we go together jumping off one of those benches. Under suspicious circumstances. Yes. <laughs> uh. And so they want to see you again. So I flew back to New York, auditioned for Pat Birch. And I, I don't know if Tom Moore was there or not. Pat Birch was choreographer, wound up directing Grease too, actually. She and I had worked together in your good man, Charlie Brown, in 67, 68. So I get the gig. I said, hey, listen, you know, uh, uh, I have two weeks of my senior year to finish. He said, well, okay, you finish your two weeks, then we'll fly you up to, uh, to uh, uh, Detroit where we'll be at that point. And I'll understudy the understudy basically. So they did that. And for three weeks, I'm working my butt off there, understudying this guy, Tommy Gerard, who's playing the role of Sonny now. They plugged him in. So if anything happens to, to somebody else, Kanicki or 
duty, whoever, he gets plugged in and then I go into the role of Sonny. So I'm backstage working and working. And that was when Travolta was playing duty. Mm -hmm. Mary Lou Henner was doing uh, Marty. Uh, uh, It was Jeff Conaway, may he rest in peace, playing Zuko, the definitive Zuko. He was Zuko in my life growing up. Actually, we were kid actors together. No kidding. Jerry Zaks, the very famous uh, Broadway director playing Kanicki. And um, uh, who else? Uh, uh, Ellen March playing uh, uh, Frenchie and so forth and so on. Ray DeMattis is uh, is Roger. Well, I went to Jerry Zachs who was playing Kanicki and I said, hey, Jerry, um, uh, I I would love to do this role I've been – I've been studying so hard. Would you mind feigning illness and l- allowing me then to go on? He goes, well, yeah, Barry, let me see if company management you know, agrees to that. Well, of course, I didn't think they were going to do that. Jerry comes back to me and says, you know, Barry, they said no. I said, oh, all right, fine. Saturday morning, so May you, 19th. Wait, you asked him I asked Jerry, yeah, I asked if he could feign illness so Tommy Gerard would, be, would plug into that and then I'd be able to go into Sonny. That's the most direct route I'd never well, would have thought of. Of course. I it's mean, very well, honest. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. I, I, and I'll pay you whatever you lose, you know, because they dock yeah. you if you're out. You uh-huh. know, you have a certain amount of sick days. But anyhow, so he came back and said, no, they said no. And I'm fine. Monday, Saturday morning, May 19th of 1973, I get a phone call in my hotel room from the stage manager, Hal Halverson. He goes, Jerry Zachs is sick. You're going on. Now, it's possible they set that up to see how I would do because they had in their mind a future replacement. Let's see if it really pays off. I, go, I step on stage as Sonny in that production, first national tour on May 19, 1973. Four years to the day later, May 19, 1977, I get the film. Um, but anyhow, so but it's getting it's getting the movie that's the, the also a fun part. Okay, we got to take a break. Let's no, take a quick- no, gosh, no, don't, <laughs> no, you don't have to make any money. No, I want to continue to talk. Go ahead. Okay, we're back. It's that easy. Wow, they, wow, that fast. We do the ads later. Oh my gosh, wasn't that a great? Oh ad? Oh my gosh, and I didn't even have chance to go to the bathroom. Uh, so, so the, the story about getting the movie, if I may, you may. Thank you. So and, – and Jamie may actually know this. The, the word that I had was that they weren't going to have anybody from the stage show. That's just show. a blanket rule? Yeah, that they didn't want to – that, uh, I guess, encrusted with <laughs> the old idea. Who knows? I didn't think I had a chance at hell to get this film. So I actually get an audition and uh, I go in and, and, and read and then – and sing. I sang Blue Suede Shoes, which is what I sang for the, my other audition for the stage and I get a call back. Got called back, and here I am reading Duty. No, I'm not Duty. Travolta played Duty. Jimmy Canning, the original, he played. It's a Howdy Duty character. Sonny is the role I'd want to do, but uh-huh. Duty? Who knew at the time that they had other things in mind with how they're going to portray these characters? So I read and thought, and then I think a third callback where they had everybody back. Now, here's the real cool thing. In the play, Sonny gets drunk at the dance. He doesn't do the hand jive. That's because Jim Borelli wasn't a great dancer, as I recall, who played Sonny originally. So that, and just like I think uh, 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 Marius Small was not that great a singer, so she didn't have a song in the show. She had Beauty School Dropout sung to her. Mm-hmm. So uh, the role of Sonny gets drunk at the dance and collapses. 
After the dance is over, he staggers up the stairs and encounters Cha-Cha, who, by the way, in the play was played as a very rotund, not very good-looking girl. That was the joke. That was the conceit. In the movie, it was our dear late uh, Annette Cardona, Annette Charles, who played the, the hot Latina. Yeah, sure. That's what that has become since the film. But in the play, it was a joke. So Sonny encounters her as he staggers up the stairs, this girl that looked like a yellow school bus in that yellow dress that you wore, and he stumbles back down the stairs, and then he, 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 uh, he leaves the stage. So at the audition, the third callback, the last thing they had us do, and I don't know if you were there. I don't think you were there, Jamie. They had the girls line up on one side of the room, guys line up in the other, and the task was that we had to meet in the center of the room dance a little bit like we're at the dance at the gym and then you had to woo the girl off the stage. How were you going to go about doing that? So I decided I'm going to do what Sonny did. I'm going to hang back and hang back and hope that the girl that I get partnered up with is not very attractive and is large. That was my hope. It's like I envisioned that. Son of a gun. Two girls were left. Me and another guy were left. And the last girl was not a very attractive and rather large girl. I'm saying, hold back, baby, hold back. Read my mind. <laughs> and sure enough, we were the last two. I, I got a, I had a styrofoam cup, a coffee cup that I was pretending was my liquor. I come out and I stumble out, meet her. <clears throat> I take the cup and I put it in the cuff of my jeans and it stays there. Cool. I wrap my hands around her, hers around mine. We start dancing. I put my hand on her tush. She reaches around and removes my hand and places it on my own tush, and I start caressing my own tush <laughs> like I'm thinking it's her tush, and they crack Golden. up. The rest is history. And it was that, that very day, I believe it was, that they then brought Michael and Kelly and me and Jeff over to the piano. We're working a little bit there, and all of a sudden, Alan comes over and says, you're our guys. Uh, May 19th, 1977. And then four well, days later, I was born. And you were born. And then you were born. Your birthday present. Would you That's have right. been born if this had not happened? No, I don't That's think so. And how much have you aged since this story oh, began? Good. <laughs> 21 years. Yes. <laughs> Uh, speaking of the dance contest, because I want to get into the actual shoot mm -hmm. and the production sure. of the film. So I read that it was something like 116 degrees in that gymnasium. It was super hot, hot and hot. not air conditioned. Yeah. Yeah. How many, what, two weeks were you shooting that whole sequence or a week or two? I think it was a week. It yeah. felt like two. It felt like a long time. It was very hot in there. There was nothing they could bring in there that right. brought it the, Right, cool. because of the sound. Yeah. And it was next to a, a meat processing plant? Yeah. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. You guys are working so hard in that scene. Everybody is. It's incredible the energy in that scene. Yeah. I, I, you know, I'm honestly, I've never been a huge musicals guy, but I find myself with a huge smile on my face watching <laughs> this, watching the Grease Lightning and Beauty School Dropout numbers. What was it like to shoot that, especially with it being so hot? Didn't Michael Tucci get ill or yes, something like that? Yes, he collapsed, and I think he was to the, the uh, EMT guys. They, they took him off because it was hot. It was Everybody was sweating and hard to breathe, and it was breathing that terrible, foul-smelling air. Well, I'll tell you that I was lucky because Kelly Ward is such a sensational yeah, dancer. A great dancer. And I, he was like the gift of all time yeah. that was put in my arms. <laughs> Jonathan, you're nodding like you get to dance with him at your work. <laughs> oh, he's well. Oh, he's amazing. He had been dancing since he was born. Right. And if if Gene Kelly could do it, Ke Kelly really? could do yeah. it. Yeah. Kelly. 
had down every dance move that anyone had ever done in a movie before. And I was lucky because I had done a show. Donald Sadler was the choreographer, a great ballet choreographer, uh, a show called uh, Rogers and Hart. Actually worked with Richard Rogers oh, himself oh, at the piano. Cool. I got, had that experience. That's another story. But <laughs> Kelly had seen it at the age of 10. Kelly's 10 years younger than me. And uh, he, I know he, I know I don't look, <laughs> it, but the audience can't see how fresh I really am. But, but I'm 10 years older than Kelly. And he had seen me at one of the first Broadway shows he had ever seen. And I'd had big dance numbers in that. And so he was excited to work with me and for me to get a partner like this because with oh, sure. Grease, they usually cast a character to comedy, to humor. And he has all those things. But the dance, you know, there were times when I did it on Broadway when somebody would step in into the role and we would have flips and lifts and cartwheels and catches and – it was a little bit of a bloodbath sometimes because not everybody <laughs> yeah. could do those things. But Kelly was a dream to dance with. And Pat Birch, who was the choreographer, appreciated that. And and she – what I was going to tell you from before was that Pat was a dancer and an actress herself right. who choreographed the original You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown, right. which was a very small show that came in I think for $16,000 yeah. or something. And it was a big hit. And Pat was the the choreographer and the understudy for the two girls, Lucy and Patty. Right. And when she – when the show got big reviews and big response, she said, I don't want to perform anymore. I only want to choreograph, get somebody else to stand by. And I was that person who came really? in and stood by and took – that part of her job. That's right. So I had known Pat too. From Charlie Brown? A long time. And Pat knew, I had even done choreographers concerts for her and stuff. I knew Pat's way, you know, and her style. And that she got Kelly and she said, he's a great dancer and Jamie knows what I do. And she said, I want to have you, you know, choreographed through the entire thing so that we can always cut to you because I know that you'll be doing you know, a good move there. And they never did cut to us because <laughs> they were cutting to John's face and Olivia's. Why not? And of course. Yeah, but, I was going to ask, I hear this amazing stuff about Kelly and he, his dancing isn't particularly it, showcased. Well, in, in fact, Kelly uh, choreographed, uh, uh, I directed a, a, a production of Grease for Cabrillo Music Theater and Kelly was my choreographer. Oh. So yeah, you don't, you're right. You, you don't, don't, see, you don't it, see it, but we were doing it. Yeah, so it. we were dancing our heads off through that entire thing and were and choreographed by well you know Pat had a wonderful way of using what your what you as a character did and letting it letting manifest. it kind of manifest right. in a dance way. Oh, I, I have a specific question about yes. that then. Because in um hold on. She had a great way of working with non-dancers to make them look like dancers. Right. That's that's invaluable. As a non-dancer, yeah. I have loved yeah, she, when directors she, can, And she then she put like those 20 dancers right, right behind right. us oh, exactly. who, could, who were right. coming in from, you know, <laughs> yeah. ballet companies in New York. Right. They were, you know, astonishing right. dancers. Antonia right and Danny Levins, may I rest in peace. And, yes. And Carol Culver, of course, who was Pat's assistant uh, the, and the dance captain in the First National Company, played Patty Simcox and then assisted her on the film as well. Yeah. So she had ringers, big time ringers, 20 of them. 
I have yeah. a specific question about that because in the Summer Nights number, when the song really kicks in and all the other pink ladies start shimmying and dancing, you just start rhythmically stirring your food. <laughs> yeah. And then it comes back to you and you're stirring Patty Simcox's hair. Yeah, I'm twirling. What went into that, church, I mean, what went into that choice? It's so funny. Well, it, it, thank you. I'm glad you saw that. Oh, I, yeah. I, like I it's, said, I, I get to watch. I take her ponytail and I twirl it like it's spaghetti yeah. into yes. my spoon, yeah. right? Yeah, well, you know, that was kind of the main thing. That, you know, you run with one thing for your character when you're, you know, not the main character. It's sort of like, I think one of the fun things about being a character person who surrounds the main characters is that they can sort of play it a little bit straight. Yeah. But you're showing people how ridiculous it all really is. And and so I eat in every scene. I don't know whether you noticed. I, of course they not a scene I have questions about it. Where I don't eat. But it was – it just was in keeping for her that what her mind is on is the food and what her mind is on. And so that's why I twirl Patty's hair because also you know how we feel about Patty. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and Jan I think doesn't have a mean bone in her body, but she wants to fit in sure. with the – you know. Yeah. And in the play too, she, which wasn't in the film, Roger – which was embodied in the character of – well, actually, Michael Tucci is m- more playing the Roger character in his portrayal as Sonny. Mm. I'm doing Sonny as Duty and Putsy is really Duty. That's Kelly's role, Putsy. That makes more sense when you say the howdy Duty thing. Yeah. Except Putsy looks a little uh, bit Right. Like and that. that's – but uh, getting to what you were saying, in the play, Jan is referred to as Petunia Pig. Yeah. She's constantly eating in the play. So it is your right. It's your handle. And that is one of the the uh, elements that you took from and, the, the stage play. But actually when I went, you know, and there's so much we could tell you about this. We should tell the story about the the scripts underneath the table yes, and the yes. scripts on top of the table. Yes. That's an interesting story. All right. Give it to me. Yeah. Why go ahead. No, no. Go ahead. You know well, it better than I do. When we, we would go back and forth. What <laughs> happened was that uh, Bronte Woodard, who wrote the screenplay – um, was a Southern gentleman and a lovely guy, um, but he hadn't done the show eight a week like we all had, yeah, it was in and our not bones. all. I was the only pink lady who actually had that experience. But those of us who knew again what made it funny knew, knew what what our funny things were. And I noticed some of my funny stuff was going to other people. It was like, wait, that's Jan material. That's where is that? What this doesn't give say anything about my character, and I, you know. I went to Bronte and said, you know, some of the I, – I, he said, listen, darling, uh, they gave me a bunch of character names and a bunch of lines and I kind of handed them out at random. <laughs> now, you know, he's no longer with us and I am grateful for everything that he put in that screenplay. But they were very, particularly Randall Kleiser, very open mm-hmm. to what we brought, That's which was great. fantastic. And he said, so if you see anything that you think we could do that's a good idea, bring it. And I wasn't the only one. We were all kind of like this. So Randall Kleiser set up this secret meeting where we had the screenplay on the table. And those of us who had done the show before had the script (sighs) under the table from the play. And we went through to restore every laugh that we knew that we could find or get or put in a different scene. And we worked together with Randall and Bronte right there and re refigured a lot of our characters and the humor that's in it, like the Three Stooges mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that was really fun for me was Randall was wide open to the opening line of um, the pajama party scene, which uh, 
you know, was me doing the brush, brush, a brush, 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 brush. My a mother brush. used to sing that to me, by the she way. She did. Because we went and saw this in the theater when I was young, and uh, that became a household little. Sure, the iPad and toothpaste. Yeah, the nighttime ritual of brushing my teeth. Was well, it? the way that that wound up in there, and this was again Randall being open and all for this kind of thing. There had been one line one in line. the in the screen in the stage play mm-hmm. that was in the in the park scene and. She's she's telling Roger that he shouldn't drink Coke because it'll rot his teeth. And he says, no shit, Bucky Beaver. And that's where it came and, uh. and I would turn to the audience because I have prominent teeth. And I would get a laugh on the take on the Bucky Beaver line. And I thought, how do we get Bucky Beaver back in here? And the line was originally the first line in that scene was, look, I'm looking at the TV. And I say, look at what Loretta Young is wearing. And I thought, this doesn't do anything for my character. Yeah. It's not musical. Nobody's going to I'm not nobody's going to remember Loretta Young, but let's right. get it in here. And and so we came up with this idea of going to get the old, you know, it's Paramount now you can get yeah. those old Bucky Beaver commercials. Like out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Randall said, "Yeah, let's get those in here." And I worked on it and he said, "If the girls think it's funny, we'll put it in." And so I did the impression of the beaver in front of the TV, and the girls laughed and liked it. And we said, okay, the scene starts that way. But this is the way they let us. I mean, it was a lot of Randall, and it was some of Bronte, and it was a whole lot of our experience of having played this stuff before and our relationships with each other. Because we knew – we were so free with each other and so playful and joyful, and we are to this day. And if there's one thing you can take away, the the one element, the camaraderie that that's is a that's on big, the screen, big, and it it can it's very obvious that you guys had a history together. On the subject of reconfiguring things, that there's the story of. Um, Kanicki's character originally getting the Grease Lightning song, but yeah. they give it to Travolta for star power or whatever reasons. How did that go over on set? Was well, it? you know, there's this. I think it's a myth that uh, that John kicked and screamed and said, "No, I, I want to do this number." I, that's just bogus. Not that's not who. That's not who he is. Uh, though I, Jeff had even propagated that because Jeff was upset that the number wasn't Kanicki's. Uh, they infused it with a lot of, you know, I'll get the money, yeah, yeah. I swear I'll get the whatever that those lines. And uh, to, to put the focus, now when we did Grease Live, uh, it is split between Zuko, Aaron, Aaron Tveit, and, um, and the Kanicki character that was uh, Carlos Penavega. Uh, so that's what they did in that uh, uh, construct. Um, but Jeff wasn't happy about it. Yeah. But that wasn't – it was Travolta and Olivia. That's what that's who people – listen, uh, the character of Roger again and Jan had a, what I consider my favorite song in the show was Mooning. Now, Mooning is in there in the background of yeah. the dance. But there's this wonderful number that the two of them sing about that, about the mooning process. Yeah. And then, of course, we do moon in the film. So that was paying tribute to that element of the stage. <laughs> was play. there a body double for that or was that all you? Uh, all three of them were me. <laughs> wow, that's impressive. <laughs> Kelly's was the nicest looking, I think, of the three of us, though. But <laughs> I won't tell you which one he was. What do you mean, oh, yeah, Jonathan? What is that supposed to <laughs> Well, guys, with all my core of my soul, hate to say that we have to wrap this up, but uh, no, I'm, we just I'm, started here. I know. Um, where can people find you? What are you working on now, Jamie? Okay. Well, I'm excited because a, 
I stopped acting for a long, 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 long time, and I became a, a writer first, and then I was a coach for studios, for the networks, working with a lot of people. And in just the last couple of years, my own kids are grown up, and I've started acting again. And I'm already very happy with what I've been doing. I, I was in a movie where I had a scene with Johnny Depp Black this Mass. year. Black yeah, Mass. Very cool. And great. that was very cool. And I had a, a recurring role on a, on Ray Donovan. And that's very heavy acting. I was playing a woman whose, whose daughter was strangled. And uh, so, so very dramatic. And I've been getting to do other kinds of fun things like that. But the thing that I think I'm going to give you an exclusive oh, on whoa. that I was I'm very exclusive. excited about that we're keeping it very quiet, but we're working on um, an evening, a show, a uh, musical again. And uh, it's Tim Curry and me. What? <laughs> and we haven't told anybody about it, but we did sneak preview at a club a couple of the numbers that we're, we're, we're working on. This is an on. original musical? It will be, yeah, it'll be a musical. Do, you know, it, songs and uh, – and and dialogue, but not re- it. It's sort of like right now. It's looking like it's somewhere between an act and a show, and we don't know exactly where it will wind up. But Tim is back at work. He just came back from doing like you did the Grease Live. Yeah, yeah. They're just doing Rocky another Horror. Rocky yeah. Horror, which mm-hmm. you know I was the original American Magenta and Trixie, and so Tim and I have been back at work again, and. Uh, we're working with Brad Ellis, the guy who was the piano player for Glee, Glee. Uh-huh. and uh, we're the three of us are collaborating and um, really looking forward Wonderful. to having that show come well, out. Best of luck with yeah. that. Thank you, Barry. Well, I've been directing a lot lately, and um, specifically for a company called Panic Productions, we did a, an amazing production of Thirteen, the musical Jason Robert Brown's the musical last year, which uh, played out in Thousand Oaks, California, and then went to the El Portal, and then I did another production of it for um, uh, the uh, Palace Verdes Performing Arts Center uh, at the Norris. Yeah, some- I've I've worked there. In fact, I used to work as a scenic designer at the Performing Arts High School there, and I designed Grease of all things. That's this wild. was back in the nineties. Wild and. Uh, the yeah. Norris Theater. Yeah, that's I've right. Yeah. Worked there many times as an actor, <laughs> and so I just went in and did a production of Thirteen for them. And then Panic Productions. We just finished up, um, uh, directed Camp Rock. Oh. A great, great production of of that. And uh, a, a, but as well, uh, I'm now doing a play called Hillary and Monica at the uh, at the uh, the acting. Odyssey Theater. I'm acting in it and playing. Are the, you playing someone we might know? Uh, no, I'm a writer. I play a writer, one of two writers who are trying to write. This fictitious about this a play about this fictitious meeting between Hillary and Monica. But I can't I, help but notice it begins May nineteenth. That's y- a really uh, important day yes, in your life. That's <laughs> another one. Oh, oh, there are plenty of them. There was also the last day that my mother ever saw me perform live oh, wow. in a play about a guy who just lost his mother and was conned into buying a bogus piece of real estate. Several weeks later, my mother dies, and I have the opportunity to buy her apartment in New York which I do with the insurance money, and a year later, the ceiling opened up and rained on my tenant at oh. 2 o'clock in the morning and led to two and a half years of a nightmare. So yes, May 19th is very special in many ways. In any event, yes, doing this until uh, June 12th, then I go out on the road with Joey Travolta, John's older brother, which I've been doing for the last two years to teach uh, film arts to special needs kids uh, oh, across nice. the country. It's a very cool thing. Inclusion Films is the name of his company, and we do the summer film camps across the country. Barry Pearl, Jamie Donnelly, I... 
feel like we haven't had enough time. We just scratched we the surface, so maybe we, we'll indeed. do this again. Well, we joke about it, but uh, maybe down the road we'll yeah. do Grease Part we'll, 2. We can, I feel like sure. you have a million stories. We, we can do. bring Michael Tucci in and Kelly, yeah. maybe if Kelly is available, you know, bring him in. That would be what? wonderful. Thank TD you, guys. is sometimes on this side of the world. Really? So bring I would love it. When I'm in L.A., I, I happen to be within walking distance wonderful. of where yeah. we are. Well, we'll all meet at your house. And Didi and I, of course, did Grease Live together, so that was a beautiful thing. Yes. So we'll bring. we can bring them all together here. Thank you, Jonathan, and thank you, Kelly, once again. You're a pleasure, Matt. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, guys. Well, there you have it. Thanks again to Jamie, to Barry. Barry, I don't know where you get the energy, but I applaud it. To Kelly Ward, to Jonathan for making this all come together. I wish we could have gotten even deeper into the film itself, but I want to hear more of these stories, so maybe we'll revisit some of these with uh, Jamie and Barry and the rest of the cast of Grease later on. Anyway, my name is Matt Gorley, and you can find me as such on Twitter, on Instagram, on Letterboxd, hell, anywhere else in that big old flea market of an internet where we all live our lives now. I don't even exist as a body anymore. I'm just a voice in your head. If you can connect me to a guest that's perfect for this show, the only way to do that is to email me at Iwasthere2pod at gmail.com. And if you do, you're welcome to come sit in on the interview, hang out, and drink from the Earwolf Studio cold brew coffee and beer tap that they just installed, which is fantastic. We also have water, too. Thanks for listening, everybody. Stay tuned for next episode when we blow the concept of this show out of the water. Goodbye. Hey, quick, don't turn the podcast off. I know you probably left it on by accident, but I'm Arnie Niekamp from Hello from the Magic Tavern. This is what's going on. About a year ago, I fell through a dimensional portal behind a Burger King into the fantastical land of Foon. I'm joined by my co-host, a talking badger. Mmm, please. And a magical wizard. I am Usador, blue wizard of the 12th realm of Ephesius. His name goes on a lot longer than that, but oh, we don't have so time for names. it. We interview adventurers, magical creatures, talking animals, and we talk about buttholes a lot. I apologize <laughs> for that. If that sounds interesting, download Hello from the Magic Tavern. Aye, uh, and then you can join me in my quest to defeat the Dark Lord. Correct, Arnold? Correct. Download it on Earwolf, and the entire back catalog is also on the Howl app. This has been an Earwolf production. Executive produced by Scott Ackerman, Adam Sachs, and Chris Bannon. For more information and content, visit Earwolf.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.